Well, hey, everybody, I'm super excited we get to be together today, and uh, we're in a series called Get in the Game, and the idea is that you and I, as believers, don't want to stand on the sidelines. We want to get in the game. We want to actually go and share our faith. We want to go and give answers to people. We want to go and show love and care for people, and we're going to have a blast today. I really think we're going to have a blast today, uh, and so I have two guys, two brothers in the Lord here with me uh, that we're going to be sharing together, and uh, Pastor Omar. Uh, is one of the pastors on staff with us. Pastor Omar actually is in our life group ministry uh, and just cares for people and loves people. And uh, you know what is kind of wild? I, I think it'd be worth saying this. Uh, there are some people who are literally alive today because of the love and care you've showed, that you really went and ministered to them. And and I value the way you care for people that way. And uh, so I love that. And then Zach is one of our interns uh, and works in JHM, but also in SIA. Am I right? Yeah, and uh, something else about Zach, he's a student at CBU, and so we are blessed to have Zach with us too. But we get to do something I think is cool today, uh, because uh, uh, we're going we're gonna to hear from Josh McDowell. And you, Zach, you said you've heard about Josh McDowell before. Yeah, I've heard about one of the 300 books that he's already <laughs> written, so I'm super excited. It'll be good. Yeah, and you obviously go way back on learning about him, too. Oh, absolutely. And it, it was More Than a Carpenter, I believe, was Josh yep. McDowell. And that was one of the first books that I read uh, when I came to Christianity. So I loved it. Really good stuff. Yeah, and actually, I know actually know quite a few people who were not close to God, read More Than a Carpenter, and became a Christian. Uh, because it's just so powerful. He also wrote Evidence That Demands a Verdict and More Evidence That Demands a Verdict and The Revised Evidence That Demands a Verdict. That's the 300 <laughs> books you're talking about. There we go. That's half of them right there. <laughs> yeah. But the, you know what we're saying? He's not only an apologist, he is the expert. He wrote the book on apologetics. Like, I mean, he wrote the book on it. And so we asked Josh if he'd be willing to share with us today. And then he said, yes, he's such a great guy. But I thought it would be really cool if it's like the three of us, just like we get to sit in Josh's office hearing from the expert. So that's what we're about to do right now. And so I want you to grab what Josh shares. And then we're going to interact around that. So right uh, Right now, I'll crossroads. I want you to join me in welcoming the expert, Josh McDowell. The greatest apologetic we have is not the deity of Christ, the resurrection, the scriptures, the problem of evil, etc. I believe the most powerful tool that we have in apologetics is our own personal testimony. Our own testimony. The results of a changed life through coming into a relationship with Christ based upon the scriptures is the greatest apologetic there is. And I would encourage you as a church that each one of you even have a class on how to do it, on how to prepare your own testimony. You say, what? You, you spent time doing that? The first time I gave a three-minute testimony I spent 65 hours preparing it. I had a Pentecostal pastor say to me, you should have trusted the Holy Spirit. I said, what do you think I was doing for 65 hours? You know what I said to him? I said, you know the difference between you and me? You're lazy. And so many Christians are lazy. How would you spend 65 hours? Well, for example... Four different times, I asked people to interview me for an hour or two. And I would give them many questions. And we'd sit there with a tape recorder. We'd use our cell phone today. But we'd have a recorder on. And they would say, uh, what was your life like before Christ? And I would just start talking ideas, stories, and all. Um, well, what caused you to have an interest in Christ? And then I would answer all that maybe in 10 minutes or 50 minutes. And then, well, how did you become a Christian? What did you do? Uh, what were the results of it? How did it change you when relationships? Well, how did it change you in really? And these people would ask me quite over and over and over again. And I ended up with probably 100 to 125 pages single space typed out from interviews that people did with me 
of my testimony. And then I took that and I divided it in to my life before, how, and my life after Christ, after coming to Christ. And basically your testimony is three parts. What was your life like before? What were the, how did you become a Christian? What was your life like afterwards? Those three testimonies. I did it in a way I can give my testimony in three in 30 seconds, three minutes, or three hours. Uh, because I spent 65 hours going over and over it, asking people, what, what part of this communicates to you and all? And I came up with a three-minute testimony. Okay, I, I love that. By the way, if we weren't in the coronavirus, would you uh, love to go with me one day and just sit with him and oh, ask absolutely. questions? Absolutely, that would be amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I think so too. Yeah, Get it from the master himself. Yeah, he's such a wealth of knowledge. But it's so interesting, by the way, just so everybody knows, I didn't set Josh up. Uh, we just said, hey, you're the expert. Come and tell our church what we need to hear. And then you're going to catch that things we've been teaching you is what he's going to bring out, which probably goes to the fact the Holy Spirit's leading. And I, I've learned a lot from him over the years. But uh, one of the things I agree with that he said, and, and uh, I would, I, we've already talked a little, you guys do too, is that when you talk to somebody who's not a Christian, usually what they want to know is it does it work for you. Uh, I don't usually get people attacking the Bible. I don't usually get people, you know, with the, sometimes they have the big question, but they're more interested in, is it real? Is it really real? And uh, for you guys, I know that it is. And so what we uh, say for all of us, we want you to have uh, your testimony down. So it's BC, before Christ, what happened? Uh, then it's something happened that brought you to Christ, and everybody has that. I've had people say they don't have it, <laughs> and then I'll, I'll kind of draw them out of it, and they do. We all have a something happened, and then a now what? And now what? So this is going to be fun. Three minutes, guys, three minutes. Omar, give it to us. All right. Well, I actually grew up in a non-Christian home, um, and so it was kind of a hard uh, you know, life growing up. I didn't have my dad. Um, and we actually moved, my mom, my brother, and I moved from Las Vegas, or actually uh, Venezuela to Las Vegas when I was six years old. Um, and that was tough because we left our family behind. Um, and, and it was a brand new thing. I remember getting uh, off the plane and seeing the Excalibur Hotel. And my mom had told us we were going to go to Disneyland. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so we got there and... It was not Disneyland. It was the Excalibur Hotel. But it was awesome. Um, but eventually, we got to go to Disneyland. But it was all on the pretense of a lie. And, and it was hard. It was hard not having my dad around growing up and uh, getting to play baseball, different things like that uh, with him and not growing up with a father who could uh, lead me um, in, in those areas. Um, and, and I think that led me to have this pain inside of me um, and... I began doing things that I shouldn't do, like drugs and alcohol, um, and it, it led me to start asking the question, why? Why am I here? What is my purpose? And I got to the, the, my purpose being YOLO. You only live once, and so go out and have as much fun as you can. And living in Las Vegas, that made it very easy. Um, and so I went and I partied hard, as hard as I could, and nothing was fulfilling me. Nothing was giving me that, that satisfaction. Um, and it's like that uh, Jim Carrey uh, quote that he talks about. He wishes everyone could get to their life and have experienced everything that they're trying to grasp for or attain and, and realize that it's not enough, that it's only God that can fill you. And so I got to that point, and I was in Newport Beach, and I was sitting on a, a pier, and I remember looking out into the sky, and I, I said, Lord, there's got to be more. God, if you're out there, come and show me that you're there. And he, he, he began to open my eyes to his truth. And, um, you know, I remember my friend had actually, uh, at that time, gone to a Young Life camp, which was a summer camp. And I remember telling him, I'm, I, I said, oh, gosh, you're going to go to a Young Life camp. They are going to brainwash you. And... Sure enough, he came back, and he became a Christian at Young Life Camp. And I said, look, they brainwashed you. Um, but he came back changed, and something was different about him. My wingman was no longer wanting to do the things that we used to do. He wanted to follow Christ. And he said, he told me uh, when we went to church uh, that Sunday when he got back, that 
you know, Romans 3.23, uh, for all have fallen short and, and there is not one person who um, meets the criteria that God has. And so for that, that changed my life. And I heard that truth um, and said, there's got to be more. So it's What's going to make me um, get to that place where I can have that relationship with God? And so Jesus was introduced to me, and I heard, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that only, uh, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And so that truth uh, came into my heart and permeated me. And then ever since then, I've been following Christ, not perfectly, uh, but I have seen my life change in ways and uh, in radical uh, ways. And, you know, I would say if I hadn't made that change, I wouldn't be the person I am today. I wouldn't have the wife that I'm married to, uh, the four kids that, uh, you know, we have right now. Uh, and so my existence would look a lot different without Jesus in my life. And, and now I know that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven and I'm going to be with Jesus. So. That's good. That's good. Yeah, you wouldn't have Allie. And by the way, his wife is awesome. And she, is. Uh, she really is. <laughs> is. But and so you also think about this, you know, I mentioned before, there, how many people you've been able to help? And your life has meaning now. So when you ask that question, why, and what's life all about, and God keeps using you to help other people, there's nothing better when you lay in bed at night knowing God did that. Amen. 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 All right, Zach, I'm super excited. Yeah. Uh, so uh, go for it. All right, yeah, so mine a little bit different. So I actually grew up in a Christian household, two parents who love Jesus dearly. They put that on display for me and my siblings growing up. And actually, I've been going to this church my whole entire life, like my parents before I was even born. So that's been really cool to, to have that. And I was homeschooled. Um, basketball was a really big part of my life. Like you couldn't tell 10-year-old Zach that he wasn't going to NBA because I thought for sure I'd be on the Lakers. Like that's just, that's how it was going to work out. <laughs> and then I ended up going to, uh, I guess what you call a real school for, for high school so that I could play basketball with the hopes of uh, getting a scholarship to play in college. And uh, it was around that time, I was around like 16 where I was faced with a lot of like tougher decisions to where am I just going to follow the faith that my parents displayed? Am I just going to uh, do what the other basketball players were doing, which I knew was wrong, or am I actually going to make this real and live it out for myself? And uh, even around that time, basketball was the priority. Like, it was growing higher and higher. Like, I was going to church, but every once in a while, like, if I had practice or a tournament on a Sunday, like, I'm going to do that, like, rather than being here. So around that time, uh, God even brought me, um, he was able to open that door so I could play in college, like, on a scholarship. Like, ma he made that dream come true, which was incredible. Um, and I was still really trying to figure out my faith, trying to own it, make it my own. And um, I was actually playing basketball for two years at that school. It was, uh, it was really good. I was enjoying it, and I was studying business, and the plan was for me to just take over my dad's business, like, not necessarily because I felt like that was my calling or my purpose, but I just did it because it made sense and because it was a good opportunity. And slowly, like, it was just a long process of God kind of pulling me in a different direction. I remember uh, just feeling his presence, feeling his Holy Spirit uh, when I was reading a book by Tim Keller called Reasons for God. And he was just revealing himself to me in a way that I had never really experienced before. And all of a sudden, like, what I was doing just didn't make sense anymore. Like, I wanted something more. Like, I knew that there was something more for me. And it's, it's very interesting because I feel like from my story, God didn't necessarily speak to me in like a, a loud voice like coming from heaven. Like he didn't just like appear to me and make everything like night and day, but it was kind of a still small whisper. It was um, just taking more of a responsive way and like seeing him through by responding like in obedience to whatever he was calling me to. And it turns out uh, I felt him calling me towards ministry. And uh, slowly revealing that to me, and then I started serving uh, at SIA, the Young Adults Ministry, and um, which eventually led to me serving in the junior high ministry, which eventually led to God calling me to become a pastor, which is, I'm not going to lie, it's still a struggle sometimes, and it's not always an easy thing, but uh, my life does look different now. I'm going to CBU, um, studying theology, and uh, just really exploring, like, this new life that God has for me. And it is so incredible. Like, I can tell you that I'm more joyful, more excited just about what I get to do than I ever have been. And uh, it is still a process, but God has been incredibly good to me. And I'm extremely grateful for that. Dude, that is so awesome. So awesome. And then uh, your mom told me <laughs> you, that you have all oh, these no. junior high guys at your house. <laughs> and you're pouring into them. Uh, and then she said they're eating you guys out of house and home. <laughs> yeah, they're taking my <laughs> snacks now. It's a problem. <laughs> yeah. But how does that feel to now know that you're pouring in to these junior high students who had some of the questions that Omar had or, or had struggles that maybe you didn't have to have? 
but you get to be a part of their solution. Yeah, it's like, it's unlike anything I've ever experienced before. Like, there's just a different type of joy that comes from that. And knowing that, like, I can't relate to everyone and I don't have all the answers to everyone, but I will be here for whatever and whatever they need, whenever they need it. So that's just so incredible to feel that kind of joy. Okay, I love that. I love that. So I, 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 Josh brought out, you know, that we all need to know our story. And just think about it. If you're a Christian, you have it. You have a before Christ, you had something happen, and now what? And we all need that together. But there's something we need more than that. If you're trying to be in the game, get in the game, share your faith, what is it you would need more than just your story? Josh is going to tell us. Here's a problem with many believers all over the world. There's no difference here than other countries. Is most believers have a belief system, and most of them have a good belief system, but they don't have convictions. Let me show you what I mean. One of my greatest barriers in coming to Christ is I met so many different Christians, pastors, and others. Oh, they could tell me what I needed to believe. Oh, what I needed to believe about Jesus, about the Bible, about the resurrection, about God, about the Holy Spirit, everything. Everyone could tell me what to believe, but I couldn't find anyone who could give me an intelligent reason for believing it. And the difference between beliefs and convictions, a belief is you know what you believe. But a conviction has three elements to it. One, you know what you believe. Second, you know why you believe it. And then third, you experience it into your life. Until you know what you believe, why you believe it, and experience it in your life, it's not a conviction. It's only a belief system. And I can tell you this. In the day of the internet, of the day of the accessibility of the whole world to the Christian faith to destroy it. You better have convictions. And as a church, you ought to have a strong strategy to build convictions into people's lives. What they believe, why they believe it, and how you experience it. Because without that, you'd be very superficial. And many people believe, these are the ones that fall by the wayside, is because they've never developed convictions. And then third, now this is something I learned from Campus Crusade for Christ today called Crew and its founder, Dr. Bill Bright. The ministry of the Holy Spirit in two areas. One, in Ephesians it says, be not filled with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Every moment of our life, we should be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean? I believe there might be three steps. This is what helps me. One is a desire to be filled. In Matthew, it says, those that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. We've got a hunger to be filled. Second, make sure there's no unconfessed sin in our life. As it says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Third, every area of our life yielded, our future, our mates, our marriage, our children, our business, everything yielded. And then next, either ask the Holy Spirit to fill you, but I thank the Holy Spirit for filling me. Because if I desire to be filled, there's no unconfessed sin in my life, and as far as I'm aware of, every area of my life is yielded to God's will, then I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. And what I do is just say, thank you for filling me. Because the Holy Spirit is a person. I say, thank you for filling me. And when I lose my temper or something else, which, boy, can I do, immediately I, I go into um, automatic mode, you might say. Immediately right there, I confess it, I yield it, and I thank the Lord for filling me again. Because the strength to live the Christian life is in the Holy Spirit. In the Holy Spirit. Second, 
We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and trust the Holy Spirit whenever we witness with apologetics. Why? Because you can be the greatest apologist in the world. You could be the best arguer. You could know all the evidence, everything. But you almost never see anyone come to Christ unless the Holy Spirit convicts them. With all your wisdom, it's pretty hard to convict somebody of sin without the Holy Spirit working. So we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit to express his power. And we need to have the presence of the Holy Spirit to convict people with our message. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I was saying, and I hope you caught, you know, so you need to know your story. But there's something more. And the two things more he's adding on to this one is that we need to be a person or people of conviction. And uh, by the way, this is where I feel like we're sitting with the college professor because then he defines conviction. You know, that we know what we believe, why we believe it, and we've experienced it in our life. Uh, all three of those are found in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, where it says, God's telling Joshua, if you're going to be successful, and God's telling me and God's telling us, if we're going to be successful, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You know what you believe, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. So what happens here is, notice, I, I'm in the Word of God every day. By the way, I, you, are you guys in the Word of God every day? Oh, man, yeah, praise God, because I asked that not knowing your answer. Uh, by the way, um, uh, I'm celebrating because uh, years ago, um, I don't know if you know this, Zach, but Omar does. When I first became a senior pastor, a friend of mine, Gene Apple, said to be successful, you've got to be in the Word every day. Back then, I was in the Word five days a week. And he said, you got to make it every day, Chuck. you got to make it every day. And so I began to do that. Today is 6,702 straight days not missing. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. That's oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. You're going to say the same thing, thing Jinx. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And I know what you're both thinking. Then you're old. <laughs> no, you're just wise. Okay. Wise. <laughs> I'm How many years is that? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> How many years is that? Yeah. You can start adding it up. But, see, I didn't let the book of the law depart from my mouth. And you guys don't do that either so we know what we believe and then you shall meditate on it day and night as you meditate you begin to know why the why behind it and, and then you do everything that's written in it you you experience it for yourself and so um i know how important that is interestingly josh and i are about the same age uh to be honest uh, he's a little bit older than i am you look you, way younger oh there you go there you <laughs> yeah but you guys are a different generation but I feel like the generation you're both a part of want people who are for real more than any other. Would you say that's true? Absolutely. Amen. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Because it feels like a, a lot of things I keep hearing is that, you know, uh, you, people, young guys your age and, and women your age are like, I hate hypocrites. Uh, and you don't mean hate, hate, but you, well, <laughs> but Maybe talk about that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But sure. how important is that to you? I think it's absolutely like the most important thing because we live in such an internet social media thing and that could so easily become just a fake version of ourselves. Like we'll have fake hair, fake nails, fake uh, fake chains, like whatever it is. Like it is just so like fake because we want people to view us a certain way. And I think now more than ever, it's just a matter of trying to separate the real from the fake. So I think it's more important than it's ever been. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's just people being rooted in self. You know, in this whole uh, worship of self and, you know, Baal, even when you look at, uh, you know, the first uh, Ten Commandments, it's looking at not putting any other thing in front of God. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's idol worship. And, and what uh, Satan is trying to do is come in and say, look, I'm going to put whatever in front of God. So if that's worship of self or, uh, you know, like you were talking about with social media and different things, um, that's what he's trying to do. Um, and so I think being genuine is more important than ever. Um, and I, I know for, for me, when I look at young people, I think they see through it. They see through the people who are genuine or who are being fake. And, and they're gravitating more towards people who are genuine. Yeah, and um, by the way, uh, uh, Crossroads family, I don't feel like we're perfect. Uh, but the people I interact with from Crossroads are for real. Um, I think that's one thing I would say is true of our church that I love. And uh, your mom and dad, you know, they're for real. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, um, and, and so and part of being for real, interestingly, is we don't pretend to be perfect. <laughs> but we want to be the same. You know, I want to be the same man 
uh, that I am here, that I am in the office with you when we get to be back in or you get to be with us. And, and I want to be that same guy at home and I want to be that same guy with my grandchildren. And, uh, and I, want, I, I want everybody to be free to fail so we can have grace with each other. And, but that, that's uh, something that's a part of our conviction that we want to be people who live with conviction and we do that. Then where does conviction get better is when the Holy Spirit brings conviction, which I can't do, you can't do, but the Holy Spirit does. Uh, and I've watched that happen. And so what happens is we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So whenever I have that opportunity to witness, man, I'm already saying those words. I'm like, uh-oh, here it comes. I, by the way, I get excited. And I'm like, Lord, fill me, Lord, fill me. And when he does, he starts giving you words to say to people. Have you guys experienced that? Oh, absolutely. When I sit in uh, counseling with people, I, I, I get words of knowledge or, you know, certain things that God will tell me about whoever it is I'm counseling, and I'll be able to share that. Or, you know, he'll share something even the night before. It's really wild. And I'll go, what is that? And then realizing that it was for the meeting that I had the day after. So, yeah, well, it's Okay, really I have fun. that happen all the time. Yeah, like I'll think, why is that thought so on my mind? And then I'll walk in prepared for something I didn't know I had to prepare for. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Wow, Go that's ahead. so good. And even for me, too, like, I've uh, had the opportunity to be preaching, and that's another thing where it's like, I'll, I'll kind of, I'll finish that, and I'll be like, where did that come from? Like, I didn't even know that that was, like, even on my mind, and then I'll look back and be like, wow, like, that was the Spirit working through me, and it's such a relief to know, even when it does come to apologetics, like, it's not on us to have all the right answers, but at the same time, God is going to use us and speak through us. So it take, really takes the pressure off, and it is such an incredible experience. Yeah, and I like you said that. So if you're watching here, I want to say this. It takes the pressure off because I'm going to be faithful to God. I'm going to share his love. But, you know, in the end, it's what the Holy Spirit does on, in someone's heart. And they have free will. But... But like you said, you know, you'll be preaching and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, where'd those words come from? And it's not yeah. you didn't prepare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we will have a talk about that. <laughs> We're going to have an off-camera talk. No, I'm kidding. But, but, but you know what is um, a lot of times it happens to me. I'll get ready to give the invitation and I'll pray and say, Lord, just, you know, is someone need to hear a special message? And then it comes. Uh, it comes. And, and sometimes it's vivid picture of I can see who I'm talking to. Other times it's words that are coming to me uh, that, that I just feel. Like a few weeks ago, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, there's a man watching who just keeps hearing this. You're a disappointment. You're a disappointment. You're a disappointment. And he was actually out on our patio, and uh, he knew that message was straight for him because he had been hammered with that. Uh, and just he, go, he went into tears because the Holy Spirit was with them. And so we know that if we're going to get in the game, uh, we have to know our story, we have to be a people of conviction, and we have to be filled with the Holy Spirit and then pray for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. By the way, Luke chapter 11, verse 28, it says, Jesus is talking, he goes, on the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. And so when we're a person of conviction, God says, I'm going to bless you when you hear the word of God and observe it and make it an experiential part of your life, which is what Josh said we needed to do. But there's something else Josh talks about now is that not only do we need to be a people of conviction and for real, we have to have a clear conscience. And I like how he brings this out. So get ready. Be prepared. Peter said, be ready always to give an answer for the hope that is in you. And I put it, what that means is this, in my words. When somebody says to you, why do you believe in the Bible? Give an intelligent answer. How can you believe in Jesus as a Messiah? Give an intelligent answer. Be ready always to give an intelligent answer to those who ask. How in the world can you believe that in the third day somebody's raised the dead? Be ready to give an answer. Prepare yourself. Do your homework. Study. This book here, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, can be, I believe, apart from the Bible, one of your best resources because it's all documented in the deity of Christ, the resurrection, the scriptures, you name it, it's there. About 2,000 documentations, I believe. And prepare yourself. Uh, and, and in preparing yourself, what is truth? Do you know that most people I talk to, students and all, can't define truth? I meet many pastors. I'll say, define truth. They'll say, God. 
and they'll puff up their chest like that. So that's so ridiculous. If you can't define truth, that's a meaningless statement. To say God is truth. If you don't know what truth is, it's a meaningless statement. It's like I would go through meetings ahead of time. And I would say to someone, uh, are you a believer? Uh, yes. Why? Do you believe Christ is the Messiah? Yes. Why? Because I have faith. Oh, my gosh. How crazy can Christians be? I believe the resurrection is true because I have faith. Faith does not create anything. Faith does not create truth. Faith is a response to truth. It's a response to truth. Faith is the arm that receives what Christ did. Understand truth. Um, understand why you believe. Be prepared ahead of time. Then have a good conscience. You say, what? Yes. I look at my own life and I look at others. Those who have a clear conscience, no fear that anyone will accuse them, are bolder. They have more courage and they're bolder. I said to my son years ago, I knew he was going to become a speaker and an author and a professor. I didn't know he was going to become a professor. But I said, Sean, always live out your life. Live out your relationship with girls, everything, in a way that no one can come forward in a meeting and accuse you. Legitimately. People will try to accuse you, but legitimately. And I've always wanted my best to live my life where when I'm really speaking out of convictions about the truth of something, that no one could stand up in the off, in the uh, audience and accuse me of a wrongdoing. I got to tell you, when you have a clear conscience, you're a lot bolder. You're willing to tax hell with a squirt gun if you have a clear conscience. And I think that's key uh, to be an apologist in a church with an apologetic emphasis, a clear conscience. Man, so true, so true. So I'm going to use even a little bit different uh, terms that Josh was saying. He's saying, you know what? We need to be prepared and we need to be pure. Um, if we're prepared, uh, then we're going to do better. And of course, um, over the course of time, uh, you're going to be more and more prepared as, as long as you're in the game. Um, basketball. Let's go to basketball. Because yeah. um, you know, one of the things about basketball, is such a, a physical sport, a brutal sport. Um, but you know what is I, my belief is until you play a high level of competition, you're not going to be as prepared. Am I right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's always a matter of the best players will be playing up. They'll be playing years older. Like if they're kids, they'll be playing adults. And that's the best way that you're going to get better. Yeah, totally. And same with sharing your faith. If you always sit back wondering one day if you're going to get good at it, guess what? You never will. Uh, but when you go in there and you have some of the discussions and, and remember the Holy Spirit in the end is the one in control, uh, then you're going to find yourself getting more prepared and more prepared and more prepared. But I want to look again at the verse that Josh gave us, 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, and it says this, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks to give you an account for the hope that is in you but notice this yet with gentleness and reverence uh, don't be rattled don't be mad uh, don't get upset do it do it with a spirit of being under control or gentle but also confidence and you need to have that so here's the thing if someone were to ask you guys why do you believe the bible's true i know what i would say what would you say well, I first would say, I would go into the textual criticism uh -huh. of the Bible, um, and I would go into the Dead Sea Scrolls and say, hey, you know, there's these Dead Sea Scrolls back in the 1940s and 50s that were unearthed, and if you do textual criticism going back to, you know, right, you know, 40, 50 years within when they were written by the original author, 
compared to like the Iliad, which is almost um, 800 years from when it was first written. Um, so I would go into the textual criticism and then obviously the things that Jesus said about himself. So even Josh McDowell talks about this in his book. Um, he says either Jesus was Lord, liar, or lunatic. Um, and C.S. Lewis talks about that as well. You, it's, mm -hmm. it's either one of those, and so you have to go in and make that decision on whether he's Lord, liar, or lunatic. He's one of those three. Um, and so because he said he was the Messiah, I also believe that that's part of why uh, Scripture is true, is because he said it was. Jesus said it was. Okay, that's really, really good. And uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, what jo uh, uh, Omar just brought up is something super important, is that we have... In, we have conclusive proof, uh, indisputable evidence that uh, the Bible we have today has not been changed. Uh, every now and then somebody says it's been changed. But the Dead Sea Scrolls alone show that the Bible we have today is exactly what the uh, original was. So we can trust that we have the message that God wanted us to have. So what would you say? Yeah, and I would say just as historically accurate, it's also scientifically accurate. And I think that's something that's so huge. And I know even in Job, it talks about things that weren't even known at that time. And we don't know when that book was written, but it talks about things that there's no way, like, they could have known whether it's, like, outer space, like, whatever it is and certain things like that, which make it so much more reliable. And I would say, too, as it is historically and spiritually, or sorry, historically and scientifically accurate, I think there is a real connection in it, too, and just knowing that the, this book that we read isn't just like an old history book, but it's more of a love letter that God has written. And just to have a personal connection with God, it, it makes it more so it's just like a distant scientific historical book to now it's like, okay, God literally speaks through this. And, and not only is it accurate in those ways, but also in the future too. So much of uh, Matthew 24, so much of that stuff we're seeing now play out in today's time and Revelation, like I know, like that's your yeah, favorite yeah, thing. End yeah. times, like that's your favorite. So you can speak into it better than me. But just knowing that these things that it talks about thousands of years ago, not only were they true then, but they're true now and it doesn't change. So I think there's just so many different ways that you could go about like just seeing the accuracy of that book. Yeah, and I love that you guys know that because uh, it is really true. You know, the Bible's historically accurate, it's archeologically accurate, it's prophetically accurate, and it's scientifically accurate. All of what you brought up, you brought up all those. And, and see, here's the thing is, is that there's no other book like it. Uh, there's no other book that has those four things true of it. And so when you see the Bible and understand what it says, uh, you see things that just blow your mind. Uh, by the way, uh, today, the newest scientific breakthroughs that we have prove the Bible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, That's no surprise. It, yeah, it's not surprising. But uh, I remember one time, uh, I forgot the doctor's name. He was the head of the Fermi Institute at the University of Chicago, where he oversaw the splitting of the atom. And uh, one of the things they were talking to him about is that he, he, they asked the question, are there Christians at the University of Chicago? And his answer was so interesting. He said, uh, not in the religion department. He goes, but in the science department, there's a uh, lot of Christians. So cool. And then he said this, whenever you think a scientific fact goes against the Bible, he said, just hang on. The Bible will eventually be proven true. Uh, wow. And over the so course cool. of the last 20 years, we've seen that happen over and over. So we have a very valid reason to believe the Bible. Uh, textual criticism shows that we actually can trust we have what the Bible meant to say and God gave to us. Uh, what you brought up, Zach, is so good historically, archaeologically, uh, scientifically, and for sure prophetically. 100% oh, yeah. prophetic accuracy, which just blows my mind, which is statistically not possible. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys. That's a mouthful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was a lot. I was trying to say statistically not possible. Uh, the good news is the Bible's accurate. I'm not always accurate. Okay. <laughs> but Josh is good on that, isn't he? Don't you think? And you're right. He wrote that in evidence that man's a verdict. So let's go back to Josh one more time for what we can learn from Josh McDowell. Well, I was in a private university north of Minneapolis. And it had quite a gay element. And they let me know when I got to the campus, the gay leaders had let me know, because I was speaking on maximum sex. Woo! And they let everyone on the campus know they were going to come and break up the meeting, throw me off campus. I love that. I do. I love conflict. I wish that would happen every meeting I ever speak at. I, Dottie, my wife, runs from conflict. I run to conflict. 
There's nothing more exciting. And uh, so as normal, I got there early. And I said to him, I said, who are the gay leaders? Not that I wanted to separate out gays, but they had, that they were going to come and destroy me. So they said, three or four of the men, three or four of the women. And I said, okay. So I went around meet different people, and I made sure I met these four gay leaders. They were sitting around different places, and the four gay lesbian women. Chatted with them, and with each one of them, I got them laughing publicly with me. And everybody's staring, knowing, man, these are the people that came to destroy him. And they're laughing with him. And I remembered their names. And when I got up to speak, I would get to a very key point on what you believe. And it's something that if you said, no, I don't believe that's true, even a skeptic would look askance at you, kind of, oh, boy, are you out of it. So I'd always say, I get to some point where everybody had to agree with you. And so I would say, well, Janet, isn't that true? One of the lesbian leaders. And, you know, and I did that four, five, six times that night. And every one of them had to say, yes, I get the opponent agreeing with me in public. That's one of the best ways to disarm people. Now, why do you want to disarm people? Because I want people to understand the truth. Whether they accept it or not. My ultimate goal is not to get somebody to accept the truth. My ultimate goal is to be as clear as I can in the power of the Holy Spirit to share the truth and call for a decision. What they do with it is not my responsibility. That's the Holy Spirit's. Um, and so they never once interrupted me during the whole time. Uh, but that's how... When I found out those are coming, very intimidating, wanted to break it up. For example, I was at Cornell, and uh, there was a group of radicals on campus. It was, it was in the time where every campus had its radicals, and they let it be known they were going to come and break up the meeting at Cornell. And they came, sat right in the front. It was a semicircle, and they sat right over here where the stage was. And they sat in the first five seats and threw their big uh, army boots upon the stage. And they were all dressed in camouflage. And they sat there with their arms like this, with their up, just like, I'm going to rip you apart. Well, the place was packed out. They wanted to see what was happening. Well, everybody was staring at them. So I'm backstage to the right. Uh, when you look at the stage to the left. And I looked out, and I saw where they were. And I said, now, are those the people? And they said, oh, yeah. The guy, the first guy in the end there, he's mean. So I said, oh, this is going to be fun. So they introduced me. As I walked out, people were applauding. I made sure my microphone on, and I asked them to turn it up a little. And I walked right up to these guys. Their boots are this far away from me. And I leaned right over. And I stuck my finger out, and I said, I can hardly wait for you to open your mouth. I'm going to bury you. And they sat there like that, and I went over. And every time I got to a critical point of my talk where even a worse heathen would agree with you, and if they didn't, they'd be looked askance at by other students. And so I'd always walk over, lean over in front of these men and say, now isn't that true? They had to agree with me. Because if they said no, then the whole audience would have laughed at them. And as a result, they never once caused any commotion. Uh, but that's how what you can do when you know your audience and address the issues. The uh, one fellow stood up, started to yell, scream at me. I walked down off the stage to the right, went down the little three, four steps. He was in the third row. The first row was empty, so I walked between the first and the second row. I leaned over, and he just stopped. Everyone stopped. What is going to go on? One, I never connected with his eyes. You never do. Never connected. But I never stopped speaking. And what I did... I looked right across his chest, not looking in his eyes, kept speaking, went down across his stomach. I went up 
to the people sitting on his right, people sitting behind him on the right, and then I'd repeat it. Every time I've ever had to do that, it's worked. In a little bit, he just sat down and never said another word because I've learned one thing. When you do that to someone, they feel like they're the emperor without their clothes, and they just, they just want to get out of there. They just want to sit down and get away from it. But if you look them in the eye, you got a battle. I never looked them in the eye. I speak across their chest, up to the left side, the people across, to this person, that person, here, here, back across the chest, down here, people in front of him and all, and it disarms someone. Now, why do you want to do that? Out of pride? No. So I could get the truth out clearly. That's my motivation. And you've got to disarm distractions or you don't get the truth out. Well, Josh, uh, one of his giftings is he goes to some of the most intense situations, usually on university campuses, and just shares Jesus. And uh, the times he goes, it's usually packed. I mean, usually big crowds come. And, of course, he's in a little bit different a lot different arena than most of us ever will be in. And so those kind of things work for him. But there's a principle that comes out of that that we want to hold on to. And that is Josh always starts with wanting to know who he's talking to. When he says, understand your audience, start with understanding. Start with really caring about the person you're talking to. Don't start with wanting to win an argument. Start with really caring about the person. And then the next thing is uh, to, to, to really, after that, build a bridge. Uh, that's what he was actually talking about doing. Let, let's build a bridge. Uh, I've been in discussions with people who are a part of the LGBTQ plus community. And the first place I want to go is I want them to know I care. We may, and I let them know, we don't have to even agree for me to care. I'm going to care about you even if we don't agree. I know that that's your, your uh, tactic. Too. It's not a tactic. It's us, right? Oh, absolutely. I think that's what sets us apart as Christians is we love one another. And, and we, you know, Jesus says that. We'll know um, each other and, and whether we're Christians by the love that we have for one another. Um, and so I think if we don't approach it with love, um, we're kind of shooting ourselves in the foot because uh, we don't want to go with the, the op opposite spirit. Mm -hmm. You know, we want to go with a spirit of love and patience and kindness, gentleness, the fruit of the spirit like God's taught us. And I think to add to that, I think it all comes from a place of love. And I think that that's what, uh, just like what you said, like that's what separates us. And I believe that in order to be uh, well, to, to, do, to do apologetics well, it needs to be relational. I think that's where it starts with. If we don't care about the people who we're telling Jesus about, if it's just like, you know what, I'm going to do this so I could feel good about myself. or that, So when I get to heaven, God will be more proud of me. Like, that's not what it's for. Like, it's not about arguments, but it's about building relations. So even if it is, hey, I can't have this whole conversation with you right now, but let me get your number. Like, let's meet up sometime. Like, let's be friends instead of like, okay, you need to do this, this, this. You're wrong in this. But it's no, like, let that come from love. Like, let that flow out of us. And I think as Christ followers, that's how it should be. That's how it's meant to be. Amen, amen. You guys are both so right. And in Colossians, it says this, and I love this passage of Scripture. Um, it says, conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders. In other words, be wise in how you re relate and how you act. And, and, and I think you guys both said it, care more than wanting to share. Like, do that. Then it says, making the most of the opportunity. So every opportunity we have, then we make the most of it. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt. So you will know how you should respond to each person. Uh, and so it's got to be very personal, very individual when we do that. And it's got to be about really caring about them and really wanting to know more. Uh, by the way, one of the best strategies I have, uh, Josh has his strategy, mine is to ask questions. I mean, genuine questions, you know. Tell me about your life. Tell me why that's important to you. Wow. Why did you come to that conclusion? And, and be genuinely wanting to know, uh, you know, why they believe what they believe, where they got the information they got. Are they open? Uh, I've actually, one of my favorite things to do is go, hey, I don't want to bother you. Do you really want to hear an answer? And I can't tell you how many times people have gone, I really want to hear an answer. Then they're almost begging uh, you to share. But I, I know you guys already know this. It's not a bad thing if that you get asked a question you don't know the answer to, right? No, not at all. I think it's actually better that if you don't know the answer to the question, you say that. You say, I don't know the answer to that question. Let me see if I can figure that one out and get back to you. 
Yeah, and I think the person would be more if if you were uh, let's say like evangelizing to me and uh, I were to ask you something you didn't know and you were to lie to me and say oh it's this and and I would come to find out like hey like that wasn't true I would respect you more telling me that hey I don't know this like let me get back to you like let me ask a pastor let me do like my own research like whatever that is that's so much more respectable I believe yeah and I totally agree and Zach one of the things I'd say and Omar one of the things I'd say is let's say you're not a believer which you are but you're not and you ask me a question and I'm like whoa. I'm not sure I know the answer to that. Let me get back to you. Then I go away, I study, which means I'm going to know the answer better later. <laughs> then I, I, I text you, say, hey, you know what? That question was such a good question. I think I know the answer. You're going to know I care about you. Yeah, absolutely. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Which is the, bi- the big, big thing that we do. And so uh, how'd you like Josh McDowell? So He's good. awesome. So good. There's so much in there. <laughs> Yeah, fire hydrant. So one day he was supposed to come meet with our staff individual, not and not at, in person, and because of the COVID we couldn't. Which when we can, I think you guys are excited. I'm excited to have him back. But uh, as we get ready to close, probably the most important thing I want to know is uh, is God stirring or touching any of you? Are any of you people? Maybe you were raised in a Christian home, but you haven't had your your now your something happened moment uh, like Zach did. Maybe you weren't raised in a Christian home and uh, you've been involved in things that aren't giving you that happiness and pleasure like Omar did. What if today was your something happened day? What if this is the now what that, that puts you into a place of knowing Christ? So Omar, right now, what would you say to someone who's uh, out there that either doesn't know God, they've never met God, or maybe you at one time were a Christian, you've fallen away. What would you say to them? You know, I would say that God is real and that he loves you so much. He wants to have that relationship with you. It's not just something that you check off and then you're done. Um, God wants you to, to, to become part of being in a relationship with him. Um, so I would say go after that and really, truly uh, experience life for what it really is meant to be. And that is in a relationship with our Abba Father. Yeah, yeah. And Zach, what would you say to somebody? Well, I would say it's so important as we just learn all these tips about how we can process things, how we could defend our faith, is to know that the Bible isn't just some theoretical intellectual debate that we have trying to prove people wrong, but it's a he's a real Jesus is a very real person and he is real in our lives. And when we lean into him, he's near to us. And I would even say too, when it comes to this, and I love how it's called get in the game, because we we talked about basketball earlier and I, I, th- I think of it like this, like if I were to just sit and watch Steph Curry all day shoot threes, is that going to make me a better three-point shooter? Like, no, it's not. I need to go out and practice that myself. So we're not going to have all the answers. We're never going to get to a point where we are perfect in our faith. But just to know that the Holy Spirit is working in us and that is a continual process, not to get down on ourselves, but to know that he does love us enough to find favor in us and ultimately to send his son to die for us. And that's the most encouraging thing. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's why we're here and why we're excited. So he cares. Yeah, yeah. And so what I want you to know is that um, it is not just intellectual. Uh, You know, I have a very real, genuine relationship with Jesus. Uh, It's just as real as I do have a relationship with my wife or with you guys as friends. It's just as real. You might say, I can't see him, but you know what? If I were blind right now, we still could have a friendship. It's not about having to see him. It's about really meeting him, uh, really having a, an experience where his love is in your heart and his, his presence is with you and he leads you and guides you. And you guys, you have a very real, genuine relationship with Jesus, right? Absolutely. Amen. Yeah. Love him. Yeah. So right now I want to ask you, do you? And if you don't, it's not because he doesn't love you. If you don't, it's not because he doesn't want you. Oh, he wants you. Jesus moved heaven and earth so that he could come live the life he lived, die on the cross for our sins, and have us be cleansed, forgiven, and new. He makes you brand new. And that's what we call born again. And so right now, if you're not in a real relationship with Jesus, or if you are one time knew the Lord and you've got, for some reason, fallen away, or you've experienced failure or pain, his love never stops. You know what? Today could be your day. And you come into a relationship with him, and there's two steps you take to enter that relationship. The first is to pray. The Bible says if you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Uh, It says in Romans, if you call on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. 
If you'll call out to him, if you'll pray, and in a moment I'm going to lead a prayer, and you can pray that prayer with me. And I'd love for you to hear the words and then make them yours and pray this prayer with me. That's the first step. The next thing you do, the Bible says, is you proclaim that you did it. You got to make it known. You got to be public with it. And so, what I'm going to ask you to do is to pray the prayer with me, and then I'm going to ask you to grab a phone or an iPad or a computer and text. Uh, amen to 69922. Amen means the truth. It means for real. It means I mean it. And I'm going to ask you to do it. Jesus said, if you'll proclaim me before men or confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father's in heaven. In other words, he'll announce in heaven that you're his. And it becomes real. Something powerful happens when you make that text. Something powerful occurs. And right now, if you're saying, I, I don't have a way to text, then email me. Chuck at CrossroadsChurch.com. I want to know who you are. And by the way, if you text us, we actually care so much about you. We want to know your name because that's you. And we want to know something about you, not a lot. And we're going to protect your information. But it's so important that you pray the prayer and then make it known by either texting or emailing. And uh, I, we would just love to do that with you. But right now, what we're going to do is I, I want to pray for people who need to say yes to Jesus. Uh, and we're going to do a little different than we never, ever have before. Uh, I'm going to have each of you guys pray for people to say yes. Pray for the Holy Spirit to move on them. And then I'm going to lead that time of prayer. So uh, all the Christians out there start praying for people. And right now, right now, Omer's going to pray for you. Zach's going to pray for you. And I want to pray with you. Let's go to God in prayer. Lord God, we thank you so much for uh, this beautiful day. And uh, Lord, we thank you for who you are. And we thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for us. And Lord, as, as like we heard today, uh, Father, help us to get in the game. Yeah. Help us to realize that sitting on the sidelines and not uh, living out the life that you've called us to live is not really a life at all. Um, and so Father, help us to uh, be more like you Jesus, and whatever is holding us back, Lord, if there's things in our personal lives that are holding us back from uh, having a relationship with you, if that's an addiction, uh, Lord, we pray that we can be free from that uh, and that people can be free from that. And Lord, we pray to see transformation happen in a way that we've never seen before. And so, Lord, we pray that you uh, shower your Holy Spirit down in a way that we've never seen all throughout uh, Crossroads, Lord, and uh, the different places that we're meeting throughout the, uh, the nation, Lord, and throughout the world. Um, and so, Father, we pray for an outpouring of your spirit. In Jesus' name. And Jesus, we need you so much, God, for uh, the person who's been walking with you their whole life, for the person who's brand new, or for the person who doesn't even realize that we need you, God. We do need you so badly, God, now more than ever, Lord. And I thank you so much that you're near to us, God. You're not far from us. You're not disappointed in us, God. You're not hiding your presence from us, but God, you are here in a very real way, God. So for the person who doesn't feel it, God, for the person who that's so hard to believe, Jesus, I pray that you would just put their mind at ease, God, and just let them know that you're so near to them, God, and you love them more than you know, God, or more than they know, Lord. So I pray that our hearts would be open to you. I pray that our minds would be open to you, God, that we would be able to receive your spirit, God, and so much humility, so much love, Lord. You died just for us, Lord. You took the consequences that we deserved, God, not just so that we can make it into heaven, but so that we could have such an amazing life here, Lord, and we could be filled with you and used by you on this side of eternity, God. And I just pray that you would just encourage those who just can't feel you right now, who are trying so hard. But God, I pray that you would just be near to us, Lord, and that we would know that you're not disappointed in us, but God, that you love us so much. God, I pray that our hearts would be open to you. And I pray these things in your name. Right now, we are really hoping that some of you are going to pray this prayer. And here's the question. Do you sense he loves you? Maybe you're not even sure what that means, but there's something going on and, and you, can, you can feel something different. And that's the Holy Spirit. And he wants you to say yes. He wants to help you. But what you need to do now is make the decision, a real decision by praying this prayer with me. And if that's you and you're ready to open up your heart to his love, ready to open up your, your life to what God has for you, pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus. Actually whisper or say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross for me and you died for my sins. I pray you'll forgive me and cleanse me from all my sin. I pray you'll heal me from hurt and from pain. I pray you'll free me from anything that would hold me back or hold me down. But most of all, say most of all, I pray you'll make me yours. 
I pray you'll make me alive. And I pray you'll make me brand new. So I say yes. If that's the only word you can say, just right now. If you've said nothing else, just go yes. I say yes. I say yes to you, Lord. And I say yes to the life you have for me. So take me now and fill me with your spirit. And make me completely yours. In Jesus' name. Amen. And amen amen if you prayed that prayer, right? And you know what? I know we're all virtual and stuff, but people have been texting in and letting us know and lives are changing and and we're so excited for you. This is your moment. So make sure you text us, amen to 69922, and we're excited about that.